Welcome to another episode of the Controversial Talk with the Smog. Today's focus is going to be on Nigeria and 419. Nigeria and corruption is like two peas in a pod. One cannot do without the other. A country created with the flames and ashes of corruption. What is the term corruption? According to Webster's dictionary, the term corrupt means immoral and perverse, dishonest and venal, or simply to ruin or undermine the honesty or integrity of, I guess, an organization or entity. Nigeria is the most populous country in Africa and a very important oil producer. For years, it has been struggling to decrease unemployment, income inequality, and its independence on oil. The period of economic growth due to oil exports has not sufficiently trickled down to the poor, even though around 77% of total government revenues comes from the oil sector. It is widely accepted that the misappropriation of public funds and assets by corrupt elites has been a major cause of Nigeria's underdevelopment. One might argue that the disproportionate allocation of profits from Nigeria's oil and natural resources by politicians is what has pushed the youth to other means of survival. One of those means of survival is 419. Nigerian scammers are generally regarded as pioneers in the sending of mass letters, messages, and emails seeking to defraud any recipient foolish and greedy enough to fall for their tricks. Although all the signs are there, the practice has now spread worldwide. Nigerians call scams like these 419, so-called by reference to Article 419 of the country's criminal code, part of Chapter 38, obtaining property by false pretense or cheating, dealing with fraud. Yet, Nigeria's 419 scammers have a far longer pedigree than most people realize. The first properly documented 419 letter dates from 1920 and was written by P. Crenshaw to a contact in the British colony of the Gold Coast, present-day Ghana. Crenshaw launched into a long description of the magical powers that were in his possession and that could, upon payment of a fee, be used to the benefit of his correspondent. 
Crenshaw signed himself B. Crenshaw, Professor of Wonders. According to the evidence at hand, Professor Crenshaw has to be regarded as the first known exponent of the modern 419 fraud. He seems to have written a number of similar letters, each time offering to provide magical services on payment of a fee. In December 1921, he was charged by the police with three counts under various sections of the criminal code, including section 419, the one to which Nigerians make reference when they speak of 419. Bekrensu was in luck. The magistrate presiding over him discharged him with a caution on the first count and acquitted him on the two others for lack of corroborating evidence, as a result of which he, Krensu, now boasted that he got off due to his juju powers, reported the chief of police in Onicha province. The same officer stated that he had known Krensu for some years, during which time the professor had slipped through the hands of the police so often that I shall soon myself begin to believe in his magical powers. There's no way of knowing how many similar cases may have occurred, but the colonial authorities became sufficiently concerned by the number of letters addressed to Nigerians from outside the country, soliciting money for what the British regarded as fraudulent purposes, that they started to intercept items of what was called charlatanic correspondence. The director of post and telegraphs made clear that this term embraced adverse content, adverts containing medicines of potency and unfailing healing power, lucky charms, love filters, magic pens with which examinations could be passed, powders and potions to inspire personal magnetism, remove kinks from hair or insert them, counteract sterility and ensure football powers. The Post and Telegraph Department recorded 9,770 such items in 1947, by which time the amount of money returned to senders was around £1,205. In the mid-1940s, there was a spate of financial scams perpetrated by people known as Wayo tricksters, some of whom were operating a trick that involved posing as agents of a New York currency note firm, selling to a gullible victim boxes of blank paper with a promise that this could be turned into banknotes by application of a special chemical. Behavior of a sort that British officials probably would have classified as charlatanic was sometimes recorded on the part of the relatively few Nigerians who traveled overseas at the time. One of these was Prince Mudupe 
who spent years in the United States under a variety of fantastical guises. In 1935, he was in Los Angeles presenting himself as a graduate of Jesus College, Oxford, although Oxford University had no record of him. In March 1947, he appeared on the bill at a San Francisco Opera House under the name His Royal Highness Prince Modupe of Duprica. Seven months later, he was still in San Francisco, now claiming to be the crown peace prince of Nigeria and representing himself as a successful businessman who had obtained a variety of commercial contracts. Morupe seems to have been, in effect, a professional confidence trickster. However, he wasn't the only Nigerian operating in this field in the United States. Another was Prince Peter Eket Iyan Udo, a businessman who lived in America and Britain for over 17 years. Eket Iyan Udo at attracted the attention of the colonial authorities not only on account of his dubious commercial practices but also because of his political ideas and connections. Another controversial case in which fraud and nation, nationalist politics seem to have been mixed concerned an Igbo man who became a minor celebrity in, in America under the name Prince Orizu. He was so well known that an Australian official working in New York for the United Nations wondered in his memoir, what happened to the Igbo adventurer who called himself Prince Orizu, noting that there are no hereditary chiefs, let alone princes in Igbo land. The Australian wrote that Orizu seemed to have no difficulty in getting a write-up in the New York or the New York Times every now and then. The person he was describing also went with the name Dr. Abyssinia Akweke Mwafu Rizu. Now, not to be mistaken with Igwe Kenneth Onyeneke Urizu III, the current Igwe or King of Nnewi. Dr. Abyssinia Akweke Mwafurizu was under his name that he was convicted by a magistrate in Nigeria in September 1953 on seven counts of fraud and theft of funds ostensibly intended to fraud scholarships in the United States. Himself, U.S. educated, Orizu had collected over 32,000 pounds in the three years prior to his convictions. What makes the case all the more interesting is that Orizu was a stalwart of the National Council of Nigeria and the Cameroons, NCNC, the leading political party founded in 1944 and was also a member of the regional government established under Nigeria's 1951 constitution. He went on to have a distinguished political career, becoming president of the Senate 
after Nigeria's independence. Although it has been alleged that Urizu's conviction for fraud was a miscarriage of justice, it seems fair to observe that modern politics, which emerged in Nigeria only in the 1940s, offered opportunities for a type of self-fashioning comparable in many respects to that to that practiced by fabulists and fraudsters like Krenzio, Mudupe, and others. Some of Nigeria's new breed of chancers began at a young age. In 1949, the U.S. Consul General in Lagos reported the existence of one Prince Bill Morrison who turned out to be a 14-year-old who specialized in writing to correspondents in America to solicit funds. The police remarked that this case was just one more in which generous but possible gullible American citizens have allowed themselves to be taken in by African schoolboys. The Consul General wrote, These young Nigerians are stated by the police to be excellent psychologists, noting that their practice of writing people in the United States and Canada for money was widespread. Frauds by Nigerian students in the United States and Canada in the 1940s were said to include the offer for sale of diamonds, ivory, and other, other exotic luxuries. Fast forward to 1980, for whatever reasons, during the extremely corrupt Second Republic in Nigeria, <clears throat> under the president, Shehu Shagari, variations of these letters started to appear from Nigeria. There were many different versions of the scams. Letters inquiring about the health of someone and apologizing for the long silence. Then, along came the internet with email vastly cutting costs of sending scam letters, an unprecedented amount of advanced fee fraud scams started showing up in emails. Though this was and still is a worldwide issue, with internet fraud originating from all over the world, Nigeria earned a reputation as the chief offender for these scam emails due to the number that were associated with Nigeria. Today in Nigeria, advanced fee fraud is commonly known as 419 fraud. Many of these email scams seem ridiculous. The wealthy Nigerian prince or princess who needs your help to get their fortune out of the country, for example. However, the downright silly nature of some of these email scams could have been on purpose. Kumak Hurley, a Microsoft researcher, observed, By sending an email that repels all but the most gullible, the scammer gets the most promising marks to self-select. The more far-fetched these stories were, the more confident the scammers would be that a person replying 
was a gullible enough candidate to fall for the scam. Nowadays, the Nigerian prince scam is all but gone. Numerous types of more complicated internet fraud exist via emails or otherwise. Scammers have learned to evolve and update their tactics. An example is that of Mr. Emmanuel Mude, a Nigerian advanced fee fraud artist and former director of United Bank of Nigeria. Emmanuel Mude was known for fraudling Nelson Sakaguchi, a director of Brazil's Banco Noresto based in Sao Paulo. Mude impersonated Paul Obuma, the governor of the Central Bank of Nigeria. He convinced Sakaguchi to invest in a new airport in the national capital Abuja, Nigeria, in exchange for a $10 million commission. Sakaguchi was eventually scammed of $242 million, about $191 million in cash and the remainder in the form of outstanding interest between 1995 and 1998. After Nick Leeson's trading losses at Barings Bank and the looting of the Iraqi Central Bank by Kwasi Hussein, the crime was the third largest in banking history. After a large-scale attack on a town in Nigeria in August 2016, Mude was alleged to be a ringleader and was arrested on murder charges. He remains in custody. The latest 419 scam committed by a Nigerian is that of Mr. Ramon Abbas, commonly known as Hush Puppy, who scammed SS Lazio, an Italian serial art club of 2 million euros. The scam was carried out when the Italian giant was supposed to make a payment for a Dutch international player to his former club in 2018. The Serie A club had been paying for the Dutch player in installments since his arrival in 2014 and had, and had one more payment to make that year when they found out that they've actually been paying at the wrong account. Mr. Ramon Abbas was later arrested in an operation known as Fox Hunt 2 in Dubai, United Arab Emirates, on an alleged 431 million US dollars cyber scam. He has since been extradited to the US where he is currently facing trial. The fraudsters aren't all from Nigeria, and they never were, but they're still out there. And they're still making a lot of money through fraud committed on the internet. Beware, be warned, and be careful who you interact with on the internet. If it sounds too good to be true, then it probably isn't. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Controversial Talk with Smog. You can reach us at controversial.smog at gmail.com controversial spell c-o-n-t-r-a-v-e-r-s-i-a-l dot s-m-o-g at gmail.com